Thanks for joining us for Mississippi Prospects, a podcast focused on economic and community development across our state. I'm your host, Jeff Brent, and this podcast is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council. Experience is often said to be the best teacher. For people who work in a field for several decades, they rack up a lot of experience. Luckily, some of them also are willing to share. Our next guest, Strategic Development Group President Mark Williams, is a nationally recognized site selector and economic development expert with more than 30 years of experience working with corporations locating facilities from a variety of business sectors. He also has advised governors, mayors, utilities, and development agencies on site readiness and economic development strategies. After serving as the Chief Development Officer for the South Carolina Department of Commerce, Mark founded the professional site selection firm Strategic Development Group, Inc. in 1999. The firm has an extensive record of working on major projects in the automotive, chemical, steel, and life science sectors. After 22 years, he continues to be fascinated with the complexities of business decision-making and site selection. Mark Williams, welcome to Mississippi Prospects. Thanks for joining us. Jeff, great to be here. I've seen you once before. Good to be back. Yes, you are in a very small, and I like to think a, a very important group of uh, people. You're number two for repeat guests, which means you always you have something important to say. Well, I'm going to work on number one. Uh, let's 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 get through this one, and then we'll see. Let's schedule a third one. We'll get it on the books when we get done. Uh, thank you for joining us again. And what's brought us together today is you have written a new book. I have. Yes. Corporate Site Selection and Economic Development, a 30-year perspective. So first of all, why why do the book? Where where did you start with this process? You know, I started with the process pre-COVID and uh, it, it takes quite a bit of time and, and, and it was start and stop and not going so well. But when COVID came, I found 900 hours. I wasn't on an airplane in the course of a year and a half. And, and then augmented that with weekends, et cetera. So that was the time it took probably a year, year and a quarter to do, uh, to, to write it. Has this been something that's been sitting in your head for a while that you wanted to get out and that was just the opportunity? Yeah, it's, it's been in my head for a while. I turned 60 a couple of years ago. I felt like I was at a point where I had some things I wanted to say. Uh, I felt like I, both to the economic development office or the economic development audience and the corporate audience. And so I had, I had some stories to, I wanted to tell, some things I wanted to say, uh, some good things and some bad things that I, ju I just felt needed to be out there. So where, where is this book available right now? It's available on Amazon. So uh, we have a, a website that, that you can click and you can buy, but you can just go onto Amazon and put my name and site selection. It'll come up. And so you can, you can buy it there. You can buy Kindle there. And now you can buy the audio, which was just released several weeks ago there. You can buy all three. See, and I was we were just talking about this a moment ago, and I'm jealous because I would love to do audio books. How was that process? Was that, that a learning process for you as well? You know, I, I knew nothing about book writing, number one, or audio recording, number two. And what, But when it got down to audio recording, 
you know, a lot of people try to do this themselves. And, and the way I handled the book and the way I handled the audio recording, I wanted to, to, to write it, read it, and control that, but I didn't want to deal with the details. So I hired a sound engineer. I hired a sound studio. I hired somebody to help get it into Amazon for me, all, all that book that, you know, you have to do book covers. So I hired that out, but did the meat of it. And it, it worked pretty, pretty well for me. Since this was a new process for you, did you have assistance or help writing the book as well? I didn't have any help writing the book. Okay. Uh, but I did get it heavily edited. Uh, my wife edited it. My daughter edited it. I had four... Uh, business executives I had dealt with over the years that looked at it. My staff looked at it. And then I hired, um, I think, three separate editors, professional editors. The, the, the concept of having a mistake out there petrified me. <laughs> and, and I just wanted to wring that out of the process. And uh, I think I did. So, uh, But you had to, still had to coordinate all these people, uh, but they were incredibly helpful. I think the most terrifying part of the process of writing any product of, you know, I've written hundreds, if not thousands of news releases, right. Uh, you know, more dense copy uh, for products back in my public relation days is the minute you pull the trigger on something, you feel like you're going to find that one mistake that everybody missed. You know, I never, you, you are so open to, you are putting yourself out there in a, in a really big way. And, uh, I didn't know that that fear existed for me, but once once I was getting close to it, I was I was trying to to wring it out just to to not have it. So let's talk a little bit about the content of the book, and you have divided it into several sections. What's the purpose behind the way you laid out your story? Well, I saw two main audiences that I was trying to approach. One was the economic development community, and one was corporate America that might be considering site location. And so I divided it into those segments and, and, it, and then in each one listed good things I'd seen, mistakes I'd seen, stories. The, the book has a, any number of stories in it. Uh, it. It was kind of interesting. Again, my wife was very helpful, but when I started writing stories and she started reading it, she would always say, well, don't you remember that story you told me that happened? So the stories got in there too, and 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 people love the stories. Uh, I try, you know, I didn't name, I named good pe good situations, but I didn't mention names in bad situations. Well, you're not trying to embarrass anybody. Obviously. Not trying to embarrass anybody, but there were points I was trying. To, the, often the stories came at the beginning of chapters, and the stories were meant to illustrate or be a great lead into the to the chapter whether it was you know how to handle foreign clients uh or 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 other things so what you're doing is you're setting up a context for the content you're about to deliver absolutely so what are some of the key points in the book that you were trying to convey to economic developers and that would largely be our audience of listeners so the key point to economic developers first uh was to to talk about how important what they were doing was, what those impacts were, how to measure those impacts. Uh, I felt that maybe some of the people that read the book might have been in the political community or others that were even less informed than economic developers. And I felt it was 
critically important for them to understand how important these economic developers were in creating wealth and investment in their communities. And I've said it in the book a number of times, not only are they generally important, but after the changes of COVID, they were more important than ever, more important than ever. So I was trying to make that statement uh, because I, I felt the timing was just perfect for that, that that needed to be said. And I wanted to say it. In the political arena, you know, there's turnover. People get elected to office, they get voted out of office or they retire. Um, and that's so critically important, keeping the message out there and communicating with that group or whoever uh, the leadership of a community is the role of the economic developer. And I feel it's often misunderstood and one of the biggest hurdles at the local regional level. I agree. Um, we could go down the list. I think media often misunderstands the economic development process, why people do what they do. Uh, they, they don't understand. I was trying to illustrate how that process works, what these economic developers go through, the wisdom that they have to have, the strategy that they have to have. Uh, but at the same time, in the midst of, you know, moving on with the economic developers, uh, pointing out mistakes I'd seen made and, and why I thought those were mistakes and what could be done better. There was always, how, how might we do this differently? But that was important to me as well. Well, let's talk about the mistakes. What were some of the mistakes you've seen over your long career uh, that were made and how costly were they to either the client or the community? Well, let's get to client second because that, okay. that, that, that really profound in terms of dollars and cents. But mistakes in terms of economic development, uh, you know, a lot of times what I see were mistakes in, in management where they're economic development groups and they have boards and the boards aren't setting direction or goals and, and that the economic developers aren't necessarily they don't know when they win or they lose and so they go to a lot of meetings they they go to a lot of places they make a lot of speeches but they're just peddling and they'll tell you they're busy as they can be they've never been busier but the fact of the matter is they weren't producing any meat at the end of the day they weren't because the goals weren't there or uh that that goals would be set and and the operational leadership of an economic development organization wasn't meeting those goals and the board never made a change they just kept on going. So, you know, that that was a, a major mistake. And I'll just name one more on, on, on the economic development side, particularly in rural communities. And I know there's, you know, a good bit of that in Mississippi. A lot, yeah. Is, is not selling to assets. Uh, every community has certain assets. Uh, some of them are harder to recognize than other. And in rural communities, that's tough. But Every community has assets in the, in the concept of identifying assets, identifying liabilities, and searching out potential customers or site location clients that uh, love you for your assets but don't mind so much your liabilities. Uh, and there are all kinds of, well, there are a few references to, to my family in this book. Uh, and one of them in this case was my wife because I said she loves me for my assets and she overlooks my liabilities. And But that's how that has to be. If, if, if a rural community is trying to recruit something that doesn't love them for who they are, it's a futile process. And, and a lot of people do it. They, they try. It's a waste of time. Are they just missing the process of identifying their community assets or not focused on it or misidentifying? You know, how should they go about doing that if they haven't done it already? 
Well, um, they they might seek some counsel, some outsider to help them frame that up. And, you know, there's something called a SWOT analysis that people are familiar with. And, and that may seem like a road exercise, but I think it's really critically important uh, to, to, to understand that. Uh, you know, the governor of Tennessee hired us a few years back. I guess it was in the 09 recession. There was a, a community in Tennessee that had a 33% unemployment rate, and, and, and they just couldn't figure out how to make it work. And he hired us and said, please give us some advice. And in this particular community, uh, you know, the roads were curvy. There was no retail. They were out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody was going to locate a manufacturing facility there, or very few would. And, and what were they doing? They were focused on recruiting manufacturing. And, and, they, and, and they just kept putting their hand in the blender trying to, to, to get that to work, and it wouldn't. But there were targets that could work for them. They had smoking hot internet in that community. We set up a whole center where citizens went to work uh, online, you know, for various places that they can consult. I mean, we set up a whole center for that. Uh, there's a way to crack the nut. You just have to figure out what the assets are and crack it. And, and so, but, but a, a lot of communities in the economic development world do this road process of, well, I'm going to do what everybody else does and I'm going to do what I read in the magazine. And it, it just, it, it, that's something I wanted to say something about because all these communities can win. They can all win. Just takes a little guidance to help them through the process. I think sometimes communities can be too close to their own product, and they're not seeing the forest through the trees, so to speak. I, I I agree. You need you need sometimes some outside perspective, some critical, you know, constructively critical perspective. And you also don't have the emotional ties, which makes you more objective in your or assessment. This, this is how we always did it. Or there's sunk cost in certain things, and sunk costs don't matter. Yeah, that's that's. I'm not advocating spending a lot of money. And of course, I'm in the consulting business, so I have to be careful about bias. Don't use us. But yeah, you need perspective. So throughout the book, you make a number of comments about the importance of economic development allies in the business recruitment process. Can you elaborate on who these allies should be for a community? Yeah, allies are, are people that would uh, touch the process of site location. Allies would be engineering firms, environmental firms, electric utilities, railroads, government, uh, anybody that that has a say or a part in a, a location coming together for a, a private sector client. And I w in the last session, I was just saying one of our jobs in site location is to see how well these people work together when we go to a community. It's a it's a, a qualitative factor, but when we see <clears throat> a community with United Ally Base all pulling the wagon, that means an awful lot to us, both in the site location process, but knowing later on when there are challenges, if there's a tornado or a this or a that, that that there's a united group of people that we can work together with, and, and that's really important. You know, one ally uh, you didn't mention, and Curious, your perspective on this would be like a convention and visitors bureau. As quality of place, quality of life has increased, you know they've got their finger on the pulse of the community. For that, when your employees are not at the office or working for you, they've got all this other time. And I know I've been working a lot more closely with our CVBs. Critically, 
critically important uh, quality of life, more so than ever, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with the younger workforce. So yeah, yeah, it's a, that's an ally that's important, particularly for you know technology investments, office investments, headquarters investments. You know that that needle swings way over for that, no question. Yeah, the retention and you know the recruitment opportunities when you you focus on those amenities that hopefully a group like you or they have identified. I told a I, uh, I told a story in the book, <coughs> excuse me, about a headquarters location project we did, and we were down to three sites, uh, and we were flying around on the corporate jet visiting these sites with with a team of executives. And there was a woman on the plane from the company. I couldn't understand why she was there. She was quite young. And I realized that they were paying particular attention to what she was saying after every site visit. And what I came to learn was she was a rising star executive and they were looking for her perspective as a younger person on the livability and adaptability to those communities for this new headquarters location. She was the canary in the cave. And it took me a while to figure out what was going on, but that's how important it was to to these people. So you made a number of projections about growing industries in the book since your writing occurred during, well, that would get, during the pandemic in 2021. Uh, we've had the opportunity to see how correct you were. What are your thoughts about growing business sectors right now? Well, my first thought is my personal investment should have been more reflective of what I wrote in the book about what was growing. I I would be better off today (laughs) had I invested where my mouth was. But uh, I mean, you know, the EV in particular, uh, certain elements of green energy, uh, semiconductor, all that was mentioned in the book, and there have been billions and billions of do- tens of billions of dollars invested, and it's still going on. So, uh, you know, I see that continuing uh, with this supply chain uh, issue that that's arisen. Semiconductors is a great scenario or a great example where we we just aren't making semiconductors in this country, and it's a it's a strategic deficit. Uh, so I, you know, I look forward to a few more months passing and maybe reevaluating that last chapter about what's what's next. The uh, the supply chain, you know, hopefully will work itself out here. But like with semiconductors uh, and a lot of these, the turnaround time on on getting up to production still is you know can be a few years out. So we're going to see that curve, and we're we're still behind that curve, aren't we? We're behind that curve, and we're not going to. You know, these many of these plants are announced or under construction. Taiwan Semiconductors under construction in Phoenix. Uh, you saw Intel announce. You saw Samsung announce. You saw another Taiwanese firm announce in Texas last week. They they are coming, and I think an important point related to battery investments or semiconductor investments for Mississippi is <coughs> there might be some thought that uh, there might be some thought that well, they're not coming here. They're going to go next to the automotive OEMs or somewhere else. But what we're doing is working with many of the suppliers. And the suppliers have a much more diverse geography they're considering. You know, uh, and what we're working on includes Mississippi. So I think there's opportunity there. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of the the larger uh, projects that have been moving around, the one I've been privy to, 
uh, huge numbers, both on the CapEx and also the number of jobs they're targeting to create. And sometimes I feel like you know, a state like Mississippi with a population of 3 million, um, that puts us at a disadvantage. And especially workforces tight everywhere. I know not just in the U.S., but uh, looking at the U.S., it's a tight labor market right now. How are they going to fill these jobs? Well, I think that's a great point for Mississippi. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, it's a great point for Mississippi, uh, particularly in terms of labor force. To Phoenix, you're just going to have access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, kind of gets back to my rural comment earlier. What what are Mississippi's assets? And one of them may not be you know being able to supply that extent of workforce, but these suppliers don't need those sizes of workforces and that doesn't necessarily limit the investment either so mississippi can play in this game but they don't need to be focusing dollars where they can't win in my opinion in my opinion well that's that it, that would not be considered money well spent i don't think so so what other business trends are you seeing real time today that are likely to impact the site selection process in the near future? Well, the energy issue is quite profound. Um, I, I expect gas prices are going to continue rising. That will affect electricity prices and, and, and other things. So energy availability is going to be an issue and, and cost is, is probably the biggest thing uh, we see out there right now. The the labor market, any projections on that and how we're going to get more people uh, maybe actively engaged in the labor market? Or are we just not looking in the right places right now? I think the labor market is complex. It, it may get simplified. I mean, I think one thing that's going on, much of this related to COVID, some of it just related to, to time, is that you know, there are lots of baby boomers that retired that aren't coming back. Maybe they retired early or maybe they just retired because it was time. So that's going on. Uh, people had unprecedented savings rates during COVID. And I know from our project work, many of them just stepped out of the workforce. They sold a house for an extra $150,000 and bought a trailer and doing something else. So <clears throat> my sense is, as the economy tightens up, some of these people are going to be coming back, but many of them are retired and aren't going to be coming back. My sense is that, and with each of the last two recessions, and I, th I think we are, we were in a recession, we might be in a definition of a recession now, but automation is, is going to continue to proliferate at a more rapid rate. So we're going to, we're going to see production per person continue to rise. That, that is that's going to continue, and that'll eliminate some of that pressure. And in, in, in terms of people being employed, you know, I, that's that's a different question. And COVID nineteen really drove a lot of what we're seeing now. It also motivated you to write the book, uh, or gave you time, I should say. Um, but a lot of the changes that are occurring today and the trends are directly related to what we experienced during the pandemic. We did. I mean, we didn't talk yet, or and we probably don't have time, about remote working. I don't know that we'd be anywhere close to where we are without COVID. I mean, that, that might be the most profound impact of COVID in terms of 
economic development and, and that, that I can think of. And that gets back to my first comment, your first question, how are economic developers going to figure that out? What does that mean to them? Uh, if they can't recruit a business that has workers in it, how do they recruit the workers that in their community in Mississippi that are actually working in Phoenix or around the world? I mean, it's it's a complex problem, but it, I think it can be solved. And I don't I don't think we would have had it without COVID. You know, I've talked to hiring managers who have said in the interviews, especially younger candidates for jobs, one of the questions they're asking is about their ability to remote work if they're doing a job that would be able to facilitate that. And that wasn't a question a few years ago. I don't think it's ever going to be the same. Uh, and it's not just young people. It's, it's uh, it, you know, I think the whole workforce, to, or much of it, is is looking to to work to some extent remotely. It's going to, it's going to, going to change the office environment. It's going to have other repercussions too. Oh, definitely the office environment. Uh, more space available now. And I know some developers are looking at uh, different uses for their available space because companies have been, you know, shrinking their physical footprint. It's all in the book, Jeff. We, we, it's, it, we, uh, we mentioned all that in the book. Mr. Mark Williams joining us today, giving us 30-year perspective, corporate site selection and economic development on Mississippi Prospects. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Great being with you. Mississippi Prospects is brought to you by the Mississippi Economic Development Council, the Mississippi Development Authority, Cooperative Energy, Entergy, Greater Jackson Alliance, Mississippi Power, MWB, the Tennessee Valley Authority, Atmos Energy, the Area Development Partnership, Butler Snow, Jones Walker, Madison County Economic Development Authority, the Mississippi Research Consortium, the North Mississippi Industrial Development Association, and Rankin First Economic Development Authority, and produced by MWB Studios. If you have questions or comments, join us on Twitter at MEDC Info.